I think the people of this country have had enough of experts. I've had enough of Michael If Gove. you count the legal votes, we I easily win. It's time to take the bricks down. This candle smells like my vagina. It's supposed to be I shouldn't be up here. What? I should be back in the school on the other side of the ocean. What the fuck is going on? Today's podcast is a Freedom Day special. What the fuck is going on? Yes, it's Freedom Day, like VE Day. We can ceremonially throw our masks into the sea and thank Boris Johnson for liberty. We can all travel on packed buses, which we must do, even if we don't have anywhere to go. And we should arrive at Lidl at six in the morning and dance down the aisle the wrong way and then mud wrestle with strangers naked and cough on the elderly all day. Today, July the 19th, because we're free. No one knows now what we're meant to be doing, so the government tells us... Freedom Day, from which there will be no restrictions and no masks, except in just two locations, which are outside and inside. But you don't have to wear masks on public transport, unless it's moving, but not if you're on Richard Branson's rocket orbiting an amber-listed planet, because at last, case numbers are doubling every week, which has been the aim all along. Because you're free! You must go to work until you are pinged by the NHS app, which will happen to all of you, so you must all stay at home until the staff at the pinging centre are pinged and all have to go home, unless you've deleted the app, which you all have. Theatres and cinemas will remain subject to restrictions because the people who go can't be trusted, unlike the responsible people who went to Wembley, who remained two metres apart while throwing missiles and washed their hands thoroughly before inserting a flare up their arse. You can now attend public gatherings as long as nobody gathers and from today you may hug an old person and the wonderful news is if you kill them by giving them Covid you will be allowed to their funeral because it's Freedom Day. The only people who it's not Freedom Day for are the 20 billion people a day who get pinged by that app because it's a very sophisticated app. It can trace anyone who's in any danger unless they've deleted the app. How's that supposed to work? Like a football team going, no, see, we weren't offside because we've switched off VAR. Now, a lot of the trouble is even if the government had got everything sorted, which they haven't, nobody would trust them because they've swung for 18 months between screaming, go out, everybody, we won't catch anything because we're British. We didn't get to own half of Africa by staying in a bubble of six and then the R number increases to three million as all the scientists predicted. So they say, well, no one could possibly have predicted the thing that everybody predicted and then we all have to go back inside. So you can't help thinking that whatever he says now, in two weeks' time, Johnson's going to be back in front of his lectern saying, uh, yes, unfortunately we have had to to, to reintroduce some restrictions. Uh, uh, if you are hearing voices from, from an imaginary person, you must ask them to, to wear an imaginary mask and, and uh, ventriloquists must keep their puppets in a box even if they scream, I don't want to go in the box! unless they can project their voice uh, two metres uh, apart. And this is why no one's confident about Freedom Day, 
These are the same people that told us we'd have a world-beating track and trace system by last May and that Britain was leading the world in fighting the virus and that we would turn things round in 12 weeks, 200,000 weeks ago. And it was our duty to go to the pub because Britain was back open five months ago before they all shut again. They're like a junkie saying, no, nah, no, nah, this time it's different. I've really beaten it. I'm off the lockdowns forever, straight up. No other country is proclaiming Freedom Day and they've nearly all got less cases than us at the moment but we're still more on top of the virus than they are because we're Britain and we invented the steam engine and who the fuck do we think we are deciding that other countries can't come to us when they've got less cases than us so we've put them on a red list. We don't get to put other countries on red lists. It's like Prince Andrew issuing a list of here are places that you must avoid because they've got a paedophile in them. It is Freedom Day of a sort. It's Freedom Day for the virus. It must be going, this is brilliant. Before I could only infect six people at a time. Now I can do hundreds in one go. And it took me three months to infect the last health secretary. I got this idiot in a fortnight. So it is like VE Day if Winston Churchill had announced it in March 1941 in the middle of the Blitz and people were going, hang on, my street got bombed last night. I'm the only one left alive. Nonsense! Celebrate! It's Freedom Day! What the fuck is going on? Now, to help me find out what the fuck is going on in the world, it is my immense, huge, universal pleasure to have with me Miss Shappy Corsandi, which is what I've called you for over the sort of period of 500 years that we've known each other. But yeah. is that now not the right name? <laughs> no, it's fine. But I've reclaimed my real name, Shoparak, because I don't know, I saw, I became Shappy professionally because at school I was teased, all of that. So I just became Shappy because people were less likely to call me Shark Attack or Shabaranks <laughs> or Shipwreck. When the Mary Rose was brought up from the sea in the 80s, Shapparak was Shipwreck and Shit Attack and all of that. Having said that, I've been Shappy for like ever, ever, right? And people that always called me Shappy fine it's my nickname and then someone said to me in a panic oh I'm so sorry I didn't mean to call you by your dead name what I was like I haven't transitioned I, I'm just <laughs> pointing out that Shappy's a nickname and Shaparak is my proper grown-up name and Shaparak means if I remember rightly it's butterfly yeah you did remember rightly yeah I did what does Mark mean Mark yeah it means person who's incapable of operating technology. Ah, that's beautiful. Very <laughs> yeah. old. Is it from Sanskrit? Yeah, I think it's, it's the ancient Sumerians. Someone came round with a wheelbarrow and all the marks went, ah, oh, what the fuck's that? I'm just carrying these twigs. <laughs> so, now, I don't recall you generally that football was always you know, a subject that we talked about a lot. But now, this is the point about in the yes. aftermath of the Euros and everything, because I was talking to you this week about it, and you were saying that your daughter was very upset after losing. Oh, yeah, and it oh. did remind me, because I think this is the thing, if you're used to watching sport like I am, if you've wasted 80% of your life <laughs> watching sport, you get used to the fact that it always ends in failure and misery. And so I recalled in particular, when Crystal Palace were in a semi-final a few years ago, and lost on penalties and the next morning on the website someone put I just don't know what to say to my nine-year-old he's absolutely inconsolable and straight away someone replied tell him that if he looks after himself he's got 80 years of this misery to look forward to <laughs> <laughs> well 
it, I find it fascinating because when I think just how desperately I wanted England to win, like the world could have fallen down at that moment and I wouldn't have taken my eyes off the screen. Right. And just how utterly crushed I was when we didn't. To have a team that you feel as passionately mm. about in an actual league that plays all the time. I don't know how you put one foot in front of the other being a Palace fan. No, it's a disaster. Or, or any it's, fan it, of any football. I mean, it must impact massively on all your happiness. Yeah. Why do you do it? Like, it's mental. Why do you do it? It's mental. It's really yeah. wrong. It's mental. You know what I've learned about football is I am a total and utter glory hunter. So I live... Yes. On the borders of the borough of Brentford. I live in Ealing, but I live right on the border of Brentford. And the Brentford ground is very near my house. And I see the bees. I see the fans going. And when Brentford got into the Premier League, I'm like, that's my heart. That's it. Mm. They're my people. Like, I am now a Brentford fan. And I'm always into international tournaments. And when I was growing up, being an England fan when you weren't visibly English was a bit trickier. Right. It's less tricky now. You know, when there are so many sort of black players playing, no arsehole drunk twat in the pub can say to you, you're not even from here. And that makes a difference. Yeah. And also it's less likely these days when Portugal or Spain beat England that I'll get abused in the street, which is what used to happen. Right. Anyone with dark eyes and dark hair was thought of as Portuguese, especially when I lived in Brixton, there was a big Portuguese community. I don't know what happened, but I just had to sort of run out of Brockwell Park quite quickly. Yes, England lost 3-2 after being 2-0 up. I love the fact that you know that just off the top of your head and you look downcast just at the moment. <laughs> I thought it was quite funny. I was in a Port- <laughs> I was in a Portuguese bar in Stockwell watching it. Or it could have been the penalties when Rooney got sent off. You know what else I've discovered it this year is what an utter snob I am because well I've always known but even more so now. So I live in W5 in Ealing and when I was 15 my parents moved to Stonebridge yeah. in Brent. Right. And I never told anyone this. Never. I've always said, oh, I've grown up in Ealing. Always grew up. In, I always bypassed this whole moment, you know, the remaining teens that we lived in Stonebridge. Then Raheem Sterling comes in. Hashtag boy from Brent. All of a sudden on Twitter. I'm like, yeah, girl from Brent. I'm a girl <laughs> from Brent. So I'm a complete glory hunter. Yes. You know, um, I read Peter Crouch's book. Right. And he writes about football perfectly for someone who is a complete novice. He just writes down all of the positions and what each one does. And when it came to defenders, which is what my boy plays, he just wrote, they are the killers of joy. It is the most <laughs> artless thing. People create and they go and destroy their creativity, their joy, their art. And I read it out to my son and he went, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's true. It was so Proud. You see some beautiful sort of run by a midfielder who's gone past four people, and you think if this, if he now sticks this in the goal, that is going to be remembered for. And then some fucking great <laughs> centre back just barges into him, and uh, you absolutely, you're like, yeah, that's absolutely right. They're like someone who, if there was a, like an art class, there are people going, oh, I think I've got that leaf exactly right, and then the centre back is the someone who <laughs> just come and go and just spray ginger beer all over it. There you are. <laughs> That's my boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, we found out today that 38 people 
So this is only episode number five. 38 people last week downloaded this in Iran. I wonder if there are Brits in Iran that know you from... Oh, that's your ra- oh, such a disappointing it. thought. I was hoping there, there are, are loads like of Iranian in rebels in there sort of listening to it, like people listen to the World Service in 1958 no, 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 Mark, and stuff. I, I, do you know, my, my 80-year-old aunt did actually call me up the other day and said, Shappy, if you can get on this podcast, it's by a man called Mark Estil. <laughs> He's so funny. He says all sorts of things. Just funny, you know, just silly funny. He likes, what is it, Crystal Palace? He loves, so actually, she turned me on to your podcast. It is my family. Babe, is that better? That's much better, yeah. I like the idea of people in Tehran, just under the covers, listening, and somebody at the door, whatever you do. Yeah. If there's anybody comes past, it's probably the secret police. i tell you something. I did a... Um, Iranian television show, like Iranian language television show that's filmed in London. Mm. And I did it all in Farsi. And I, because I'm clueless and I don't read emails properly, I didn't realise it was going to be broadcast in actual Iran. And then it was. And it was me talking about life here and doing jokes in Farsi. And then it was all over Instagram. All my Instagram, my Twitter followers shot up. My Instagram direct messages were just full of young people in Iran writing to me. It was the most touching and moving thing that has ever happened to me. And my grand, my aunt did ring me up and say, we all saw you. And I was like, I didn't know. If I'd known that you would see me, I would have like given you a shout out, you know. Oh, in that case, Chappy, can you give a little message in Farsi to the 38 people? بله اگه شما به فارسی دارین گوش میدین تو ایران دارین گوش میدین این برنامه را این مارک استیل انقدر مرد خوبیه تیم فوتبالش کریستل پالاس مزخرفن مزخرفن اصلا بلد نیستن فوتبال بازی کنن ولی اینجا کریکیت بازی میکنن که کم و بیش بهتره ولی هنوز از پاکستانیا بهتر نیستن So, the next yeah. subject we're going to talk about. Bono yes. has a son who has got a song that has become... Or not a song, an album that has become number one album in, in the charts. His name's Elijah. Yes, which is quite humble for Bono yeah. to call his son after just any old Old Testament prophet rather than actually <laughs> calling him Jesus because he's the son <laughs> of God with me being the deity. He's the son of God. If he's not crucified by 33, I'd give him a slap. <laughs> You know, I was taken to see you two after being a bit of a snob about them mm. and I was converted. And my friend who took me did warn me, because, you know, I you know I'm an atheist, right? Mm. He did warn me. As we got there, before it was about to start, I go, Shappy, just to warn you, you will get, like, verses from Psalms right. raining down on you at the end. I was like, and you didn't tell me that before because you knew that I probably wouldn't come. <laughs> right. And I was like, yeah. But... I loved him so much yes, I know. that I, I ended up naming my dog after his mum, Iris. <laughs> I wept as this grown man ran up and down the stage shouting, Iris, Iris, his mother's name. And I was moved and it was beautiful. I was the same. I went to see him and I called me Cat Sunday, Bloody Sunday. <laughs> But doesn't his son have inhaler? That's the band, right? Mm, so mm. the times that him and his dad lived in are very different, right? So Bono's got Sunday, Bloody Sunday, and Inhaler's got Ice Cream Sunday. 
I don't know why that tickled me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spoke to Tom Robinson, who's a very, very lovely man, and he said he was in a recording studio with Bono, and the studio manager came in and said, um, oh, Bono, the, it's the phone. And Bono said, oh, it's said not to, but he said, no, no, you, you want to come and get this, really. And he, Tom said, oh, bloody hell, you know, we're paying for this studio, where's he got? And he went out, and when he came back, I said, who was that? And he went, it was the Pope. Do you know what? I was thinking, unless it's the Pope, <laughs> that was wasting his time. What would it been, but wouldn't it have been cool to go, will you tell him to fucking hang on? <laughs> I'm in the middle of a fucking song, and he got shit to do. I mean, why was the Pope calling Bono? Oh, I think he'd left his keys around his house. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> do you know, I'm the opposite of the people who will slag off poor little prophet Elijah because I like it when people that I like and enjoy and their kids do what they do. I just think it, I get all motherly and I just think it was it's adorable. Like, what else was that boy going to do? Although, what is it they say if your kid... You've done something right if your kid doesn't want to get into show business. Oh, God. And I believe Bruce Springsteen's son is a firefighter. Oh, is he? But that's very Springsteen-y, though, isn't it? Oh, the working yeah. man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Come on, Bono's the working man. He is the working man. He's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very down. Say what you will about Bono. He's very down to earth. He never shows off and he never thinks big of himself. You've got to admit that about him. Now, moving very much away from people who think very well of themselves, I think we should speak about someone who's a very, very humble chap, Richard Branson. He's also a man of the people. He's not only down to earth, he's down to space or whatever the cosmic version of being down to earth is. Now, you do get annoyed sometimes. Does he annoy you? Nothing annoys me because I meditate, Mark. What do you chant? I, I would try that, but I'd Branson. sit there chanting. Yeah, I'd sit there chanting, fuck's sake, fucking assholes, fucking Boris, fucking Johnson, for 25 minutes, and it just wouldn't help with my state of mind. I used to, years ago, go to a group meditation. I think I went to two classes because the woman just took ages with the whole meditation thing. And I'd be like, lady, hurry this up. I've, I've got shit to do. Time to sit in a hall, umming. I've got stuff to do. So now they do meditation light for people like me, like the Calm app that I right. mentioned to you. So I don't get annoyed at Branson. I, I don't understand his motivation. I don't, don't know why he has to do everything so bloody publicly. And he just exists, doesn't he, to irritate uh, a lot of people. And there was a time where people would go, oh, look at him, look what a success he's made of himself, blah, 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 blah. But right now, of all the things you could be doing, of all the things you could be helping, giving people a hand, giving people a leg up, you're going off to space. This isn't the 60s. It's not even the 80s. We, we just don't give a shit. I mean, I don't know who cares right now about this. No. Other than to slag him off about it. I think where all of these come together is that they are a brilliant sign of change. So when people, very many, with best of intentions, Boston people say, oh, nothing changes, it all stays the same. And yet that's not the case because someone who comes into public life, as he did, posing as this sort of character who's slightly sort of anti-establishment and so on, is now someone floating about in space, the very epitome of Mm. the wealth that annoys the vast majority of people. On the other hand, the England football team over the last 30 years, which started out being a symbol of all that was the most rotten and angry and aggressive and racist 
is now become now it's the they're the icons of wokeness. They're the, the official opposition now. This football team. I know. Southgate, Tyrone Mings, with his statement about Pretty Patel and Gary Neville when he talks on on Sky News about it is like. Wow, can you not lead the Labour Party in between doing stuff about football matches? <laughs> that is a magnificent place in which to end. Thank you very much for explaining what the fuck is going on. Shaparek <laughs> or Sandy. Thank you. Oh, I'm Italian now. This is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> now, as well as Bono... A more important musical icon who's been in the news this week is Emma Bunton, Baby Spice, because she's got married to someone called Jade Jones. And it's a sort of measure of how my mind works that I thought, oh, Jade Jones, she's marrying the woman who was Olympic taekwondo champion. But it's it's not her. It's someone different who's a singer who I wasn't familiar with. But luckily, we do have someone who's going to explain Baby Spice's wedding in much more detail, Mr George Galloway. Let me put it to you, Baby Spice. The irredeemable union in which you have partaken represents nothing more than a Quisling-esque betrayal of principles. For when you erstwhile enunciated that if one were to be your lover, one would have to get with your friends, this was an act of solidarity redolent of the Armenian peasantry in the uprising of the 11th century. Whereas the sorry surrender of your misleading epithet by which your groom is permitted to wed you and you alone summons only the treachery of Brutus. That, baby Spice, is why I did not attend your wedding reception. What the fuck is going on? Now, this country needs politicians who tell us what they really think. So we should celebrate Conservative MP Natalie Elphick. She complained about Marcus Rashford after he missed his penalty in the Euro final, saying... He should have spent more time perfecting his game and less time playing politics. Exactly. Her party has worked so hard over ten years to create as much child poverty as possible and then this complete outsider undermines all their efforts by getting food to hungry kids, the annoying pest. You can see why she's irritated. It'd be like that England fan who was filmed with a firework up his arse, carefully getting everything in place and setting it alight, only for some spoil sport with a hose to spray water over it to ruin it. Because sport teaches us an important message, which is we must stop trying to feed hungry children. Now, this is the Christian attitude that we expect from our leaders that began with the parable told by Jesus of the Good Samaritan. For people who don't know it, in the story, a traveller from Samaria finds a Jewish man wounded by the roadside. So the Samarian cleans him and pays an innkeeper to look after him. But the Samaritan then went on to miss a penalty against Galilee in the shootout after the final of the Holy Land football tournament. And if he'd spent more time practising, he might not have let everybody down. The idiot! Having shown such expertise on the game, Natalie should become a pundit. Then she can offer insights such as... Everton have been poor up front this season because half of them visit sick children in hospitals instead of practising shooting. 
They were disgrace. It must be annoying when you're a professional politician and a footballer gets in your way by trying ideas like feeding hungry kids. So MPs, like the Tory Ben Bradley, said... Extending free school meals to school holidays passes responsibility for feeding kids away from parents to the state. It increases dependency. And then... Thousands of small cafes donated dinners to kids anyway, so Ben Bradley and his colleagues must stop these kids getting the free meals. Otherwise, their dependency will go up by a terrifying amount. They need to send armed guards to snatch away a sausage before the hungry kid gets a chance to put it in his mouth. If you care about the country's children, it's vital that you leap on their bowl of free spaghetti and cover it in domestos. Otherwise, they'll become dependent and that's going to be a disaster. When I was at school, every year we all took in food to go into hampers delivered to old people in the area for the Harvest Festival. I feel ashamed now. We should have helped out the elderly much more by refusing to give them anything except a note saying this empty basket will stop you becoming dependent, you greedy old cow. When Live Aid was at its peak, I hope that these MPs were committed enough to their ideas to fly to Africa, run into a Red Cross tent and set fire to all the donated food. Now, the House of Commons has a subsidised canteen that offers... For example, tagliatelle with flaked salmon, white wine cream, spring onions, fennel, and tendril peas, £6.41. Presumably, Ben Bradley and other Tory MPs tip all that food in a skip. Stop! They must scream. You're making us dependent. Please, please, please make us pay the unsubsidised price. In fact, make us pay double to give us the drive and incentive to work harder. At least for God's sake, make us pay more for the tendril peas. Now, following the abuse sent to the Black England players after the final, the Prime Minister wants to ban from football forever the people who made racist comments online. And we should all get behind him in this. For example, there was one comment that you can find easily online that says, Muslim women look like letterboxes. And I hope that Boris Johnson can track this thug down and make sure that he never wears an England shirt again. Another online comment describes black Africans as pickaninnies with watermelon smiles. So we must hope that the Prime Minister finds this person who called himself Boris Johnson and alerts the FA immediately in case he ever tries to sneak into Wembley. The government also condemned people who send abuse to the England players, but a few weeks ago, Pretty Patel said that she didn't mind if people booed the players for supporting Black Lives Matter. And I suppose Pretty Patel's concern is that booing should be done in person rather than online, as it's really good to keep these things live, like music festivals. So, you might think that providing food and books to children might be something a government is supposed to do, but this lot don't have time for that, which is fair enough, as it's probably because they spend all day practising fucking penalties. Now, I've got a very nice message from someone called Dolphin2, who said on Twitter, Hi, Mr Mark Steele. Test and trace cost £37 billion. New Hinkley nuclear power plant costs £23 billion. What the fuck is going on? This is an excellent question and a very good comparison because it does show that the amount that was spent on the test and trace system that never worked could have paid for one and a half nuclear power plants that never worked or were indeed never even built. And at the end of it, 
the nuclear power company went, yeah, we, we didn't bother building it. We took the money and we've just got a field here, empty field and a couple of Duracell batteries. But we did take the money and that's gone to Jacob Rees-Mogg's brother-in-law. So uh, it was worth it. Oh, what the fuck is going on? Now, if we're going to try and find out what the fuck is going on, we can't just speak to people of a certain age. We have to talk to the youth as well. And for that reason, I've bred someone. So with me now on the podcast is Elliot Steele. Elliot, your generation at the moment is right at the centre of everything that's happening because it seems that there's an experiment going on to send all the people your age who have not had a vaccination or only had one jab out into the world and see how many of you end up on respirators. So what's your generation thinking about that? Okay. (laughs) Fucking not a 75-year-old obese woman. I'm not going to die of COVID. Okay. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Chris Whitty's replacement. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I think if I was to be a stickler scientifically or, you know, medically, I might take issue with that. So do you reckon that's what most of your people your age saying then? My generation, if you get COVID, it's just inconvenient because you have to stay indoors for 10 days. It's not like, oh, my God, you're going to die. Like my girlfriend's flatmates had it. So my girlfriend Darcy just had to stay in because they, they weren't allowed to like leave. And it was just massively inconvenient. We didn't go put a big X on the door and then, you know, just bulldoze the house down afterwards because they had a cough. Yeah, you have to get sort of like an exorcist round to take all the spirits away. They were like slightly ill, yeah. How ill then? Well, just ill. Just a little bit ill. Could you have gone for a walk? Well, yeah, apart from they weren't allowed. That's what I mean. It's just inconvenient. It's like it just gets in the way of things. It's a very peculiar disease, this. Well, you had COVID, didn't you, right at the the sort of start when it it, uh, first locked I had the original first edition pressing COVID. Oh, do you get get a certificate? I'm like someone who liked a band before they got big. And it was, yeah, it was it was sort of basic raw stuff, though, wasn't it? Because it was, you were just like hot chest, no smell, all that carry on, wasn't it? Yeah, I was just, I was just ill. But is your conclusion from that, that therefore we should just have Freedom Day and all go out and just see who's left alive at the end of it? Yeah, why not? <laughs> sure, there's probably a better way to go about it. But I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to go out. So. <laughs> well, you've been locked in for a... Well, not locked in, but for the, a year and four months, you've all had to go along with all the restrictions and all of that. Yeah. yeah. And so you probably ought to have a couple of months running about killing everybody who's over 60. That's only fair, isn't it? <laughs> well, I think it is fair, yes. I think in the year and a half, if you haven't done the thing, that it, before the vaccine and all of that, which was maybe when you're looking at the news of COVID and goes, wow, this seems to be killing unfit people. Now, I've got a period of time here where I can go for a walk, cook my own meals. The government are giving me money to do things with it. And if in that time you've decided to spend it all on Papa John's and then because (laughs) I want to go to a nightclub, that kills you, that's on you. That's not on me. That's that's on you, which will be... Look, this is just a eulogy I'm going to do at your funeral after everyone blames me because I went to Vodka Revs on a Tuesday. Right, but you don't think any of your generation is going to get particularly ill then? Just a little bit of an inconvenient oh, maybe cough? Maybe a couple, but no one I know, so it doesn't matter. 
Look, if someone I know gets really right. ill and dies, then this government has failed and it's disgusting. <laughs> and it's just tragic and awful. But if I don't know them, well, they should have tried harder to not get ill. That's my opinion. See, this is a voice that we don't hear often enough in Boris Johnson's press conferences. Well, just honesty. Just that's, <laughs> It's just honest. Look, you care about your world. Do you know what I mean? Well, no, no, that's not, no, we're not. That is true. It does. You care about your, look, the planet is on fire. There are floods in Germany at the minute. There's irreversible amounts of damage done. And the only way that it seems we're going to be able to stop it is if we all drive electric cars and trust nuclear power. And then there's lobbying from oil companies and all these places to stop all of that. And I I don't want to pay attention to that, that in like 20 years, I'm going to be on fire. And so now I would just like to be able to just get on with life and just focus on these fun years I've got. Okay. That's my viewpoint. Do you get where I'm coming from? Uh, well, uh, well, I get where you're coming from, but you've not had the jab yet, have you? Because you were, you were alerted and you had to rebook it for next week. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've not had it yet, but I don't, I don't. Okay, this is going to sound controversial. I'm going to get the COVID vaccine. I don't want to get it, but I'm going to get it. Right. Because I don't I don't trust it. Right. I'm going to get it the same way I, for the reason I wear pants. That it's more for other people than me. <laughs> but I don't want to. Okay. Well, that's a very optimistic note on which to end, Mr. Elliot Steele. Thank you very much for explaining what the you think about what the fuck is going on. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If there is anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, then please send me a message on Twitter at Mr. Mark Steele and we will do our best to look at all the messages that you send. What the fuck is going on was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests Shaparak, Corsandi and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander and Pete Sinclair. It was written by Mark Steele's James Serafinowicz and Pete Sinclair. Music by Willie Downing. It was produced and edited by Scott and Matt at Podmonkey. What the fuck is going on is a co-production between Podmonkey and Consec Industries. <laughs>